0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. What the world, the flesh, and the devil mean for evil, the good Lord Almighty intends for our good, creating a unique place where good and evil intersect to do battle in a Christian's life. That spot, that intersection is our crucible of suffering. And while in that crucible, confusion does mount, even tempting us to take actions that we would not take during ordinary times. But even in those moments, God is with us, always persevering for our good. As you reflect upon the most painful times of your life, haven't you seen how the Lord sustained and cared for you? Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk about a season in my life where good and evil intersected in my crucible of suffering. And as the confusion did mount, I did things that I would not ordinarily do during normal times, and I want to share one of those times with you when I even tried to manipulate God, gaslighting God, trying to move Him, budge Him, trying to get Him to see things my way so that I could get on with my plan. Have you ever tried manipulative praying? Well, I'm not recommending that as a course of action, but that is exactly what I did. Let me share that time with you, but first I will begin with... Maybe a a verse of scripture I trust you have memorized, but if you hadn't, I hope that you will reflect upon it because Paul was communicating us in in Philippians 3.10, a goal for our lives, but it is a complex goal. He said this, that I may know him. Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now that is the goal for us. That is the place that God is taking us, that we may benefit from the power of his resurrection, but it will only come through sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And so that sends us right through the crucible of suffering. During suffering times, you experience a grace that you cannot appropriate at any other time in your life. You see, grace and suffering are instruments working hand-in-hand, and though there is grace for suffering, you don't need that grace until you are suffering, and that's why they're working hand-in-hand. Perhaps you've heard someone say, I would not want to go through what's happening to them Well, me either. But what we miss is how God gives grace during those seasons of trials. And so I hope that you don't have to go through suffering. But if you do, there will be empowering favor. There will be grace from God. And it will buoy you through the crucible because grace and suffering go hand in hand. And so should the Lord drive you into the crucible of suffering, he will magnify himself by sustaining you, creating an unforgettable, soul-stirring memory. There is a deep intimacy found in the heart of God that you access through a cross that leads to your death as you anticipate the power of his resurrection to activate in you. As Paul talked about, that we may know Jesus Christ sharing in his sufferings, experiencing his resurrection power that comes through our death. I have talked to many Christians who have echoed this truth. And though they never want to go back to that crucible, they do acknowledge how they would not exchange their experience with God that came during their fiery trials. And I agree with them. It's my story too. After my family had left, I I went into a deep sorrow from which I did not fully return for 10 years. The despair was unending. The confusion was spiritually disorienting. There are no words to describe the pain of those years. I resigned my life to the lower shelf of the Christian ecosystem. Looking into my future, I could see nothing but an eternal black hole of emptiness. It was dark. It was bleak. It was endless. Hope was gone as I began to accept how the future that I saw always looked like today. It was in this place where God's goodness entered my divinely crafted suffering. And like Job, there was a time of radio silence as God appeared to be so far away. But it was only for a moment. He wanted me to see Him differently. It's really ironic when I think about it. I had two Christian undergrad degrees, and those two degrees did not introduce me to the Lord in the way that I needed to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Education gave me an awareness of theology and an appreciation for God's Word. Praise God. But unremitting anguish revealed the suffering Savior to me. Knowing God intellectually and experiencing Him in life-altering pain are radically different. And so as God continued to reorient my thinking from inside my crucible of hopelessness, I experienced Him in a unique, unforgettable, and life-transforming way. Intense suffering does this for you, bringing a convergence into your life that wants to tear apart your soul. It is fear and faith. That's the convergence going toe to toe in a loser leaves town match. And you're never really sure who is going to win. Will it be fear? Will it be faith? Sometimes fear would come off the top rope and and just add that crunching blow. And it seems as though faith will never rise from the canvas. But I began to see that the faith that God gave me in my salvation, it needed fortification to navigate me in my sanctification. The good Lord was prepping me for a future of usefulness in his kingdom. He knew the temptation in me to drift into an unbelieving believer mindset. That temptation was strong making it vital to reorient my walk with Him. And so this battle brought me to a vulnerable place where the Lord deepened His roots into the fertile ground of my sanctification. And the trial opened the way to place something in me that will never leave, for which I am eternally grateful." And many souls have reaped, and I trust will continue to reap, the benefits of God's good work back then in that crucible. You see, I began to intuit things back then, though their reality was still many years later, that there is future usefulness for you upon leaving this crucible. And merely having the hope, of him completing what he started, it was a drop of hope, but it was satisfying enough just to live one more day. This perspective is why a person will reflect on his most painful experience and say something like, God was amazingly good to me at that time. And if you have been there, and I know many of you have, I do not need to say any more. You know what I'm saying to be true. I have just described your pain and your praise. You see the juxtaposition of this fear, faith, pain, praise, tension in a holy sonnet that was written by John Donne. John Donne is my favorite poet, and he wrote a a sonnet called, Batter My Heart. And in that sonnet, John Donne was pleading with the Father to do whatever is necessary to transform him into a new creation. Here is just a little bit of the poem or the the holy sonnet, Batter My Heart. It goes like this. Batter my heart, three-personed God, for you as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand, overthrow me, and bend your force to break, blow, burn and make me new. Can you hear the desperation in that sonnet? Has God ever battered your heart? I'm not asking you this question to place fear in your heart, but to help you to think about whatever current or future struggle that it will be that you will have a theocentric presupposition as you go through that struggle. If you have not experienced our heart battering God in the crucible, perhaps taking some time and just reflecting upon what are your thoughts about him walking with you through that potential season in your life? It is not like suffering is an option for us. It's not. We all suffer. Unbelievers suffer. But the difference between a Christian suffering and an unbeliever suffering is that we, we suffer with hope, with grace, with anticipation that God is doing a good work. And so we don't have an option about suffering, just like the unbelieving world. But the choice is, how do you want to suffer? Do you want to suffer with God, or do you want to suffer without Him? John Donne's sonnet is one of the most radical prayers a person can pray. What I want to do is just tease out a couple of lines in that sonnet, and I want you to notice the progression of his thought. As you reflect upon the lines, this is what John Donne initially asked the Lord. He said, I want you to knock, to breathe, to shine, and seek to men. Those four things, knock, breathe, shine, seek to men. But then upon deeper reflection, he ratcheted up his desire to be transformed by God into the likeness of his Son, and this is where he asked. He changed each one of those words. He said, "Break, blow, burn, and make me new." Do you see the difference? Don't just knock, but uh, don't just knock but break. Don't just breathe but blow. Don't just shine but burn. Do not seek to mend. Make me new. Perhaps you can look up that sonnet, Batter My Heart, and just pause for a bit and think about what John Donne was asking God to do to him. What do you think about John Donne's desperation for God to transform him? How desperate are you to experience the Lord's transformation in the crucible of suffering? How aware are you of the faith fear tension that battles inside of you. I was unaware. I didn't have a framework for attacking my fear or maturing in my faith. How desirous are you for him to help you overcome fear and to grow in your faith? John Donne reminds me of Genesis 30 where Rachel said, Give me children or else I die. There are moments in our lives where something is so important to us that we are desperate and we will not be satisfied until we have it. You hear it in Rachel's prayer in Genesis 30, and you hear it in John Donne's holy sonnet, Batter My Heart, where he he began by just... Asking God, would you like, I want you to, uh, he said, not breathe, shine, seek to mend. And then as he thought about it, he said, no, I want you to break. I want you to blow, burn. I want you to make me new. We need that kind of holy desperation. Les Miserables is one of my favorite Broadway shows. Lucia and I have seen it a couple of times, at least. One of the characters in this play is Fantine. She is a lady who lived a most miserable life that ended too soon. This song, her, her song that she's recognized for in the play is I Dreamed a Dream, where she talks about her idealistic youth and how the darkness of this world stole her dream. Her haunting words represent a temptation for all of us. We all dream of how... Things ought to be, and if you have lived for a few decades, then you know that things did not turn out as you had hoped. It never does. But it's at this juncture that you and I, we must guard our hearts, or what we'll do is we will spiral, as I did, into the pit of despair. I want to share just a snippet from Fontine's song, I Dreamed a Dream. This is what she said. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. For many of us, life kills our dreams. After we marry, we launch our covenantal boats toward a glistening horizon. And though we realize the potentiality of dark skies ahead, we dismiss the notion because, well, we choose not to think about such matters. Some of us actually believe that we are different, maybe more innovative, or we just know better than those who fell short of the mark and collided on the rocks after they went over that horizon and never made it to the happily ever after. Even when we see the dark clouds forming in our lives and our relationships, we do not necessarily perceive them for what they are, or we do not understand how the Lord may be about to teach us richer meanings of biblical faith. I saw the dark clouds taking shape in our marriage, but I never realized how much the winds would break, blow, burn. I was working on a Bible degree in my second year at Bible college when God blindsided me while doing good. I cannot adequately explain to you the depth of the pain I have shared before how upon arriving home in 1988 I realized that my family was gone and within 15 hours I lost 10 pounds which is my best descriptor of explaining how it was most it was the most prolonged and torturous night of my life it was I was in unmitigated fear and desperation and physical suffering. My desire for a family fully collided with the Lord's willingness to reveal Himself to me in a way that necessitated my death, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. It was my death that He had in mind. I was confused and depressed about the story that He was writing. And during my time in Job, I read, I meditated, I prayed, and I cried through his struggle because now it was my struggle. I will never forget the day when I arrived at chapter 23, halfway through, the story's almost over, and I read these words in verses 13 through 15. Job said, but he is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does? For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore I am terrified at his presence, when I consider I am in dread of him. My world stopped spinning long enough for me to hang onto every syllable out of Job's mouth. I was stunned when Job affirmed what I had already perceived about God. He was changeless, and what he desires, he does. I had spent years hoping to get a get to the part of God's story. And, and then finally, it was time for me to go on stage. I'm now called up, and I'm ready to go on stage. I want to do great things for him. I didn't perceive how the screenwriter was writing a play that would challenge me to the core of my being. And then I read the part of Job's play in chapter 23, and my thoughts went wild. As I meditated on those terrible truths, my mind prematurely jumped to the end of the story, the happily ever after part. I learned how the Lord released Job from the crucible of suffering and how he blessed him with twice as much as he had before. Then I thought, maybe he will release me too. I mean, he's a kind screenwriter. And by the way, all good American movies end well with the hero defeating the foe and getting the girl. Though I knew the book of Job was not a prescription of how suffering happens, I desperately wanted his ending to be mine This desire for a happy conclusion brought immediate hope because it offered a way out of the crucible, a way out of the pain. All I needed to do was to inform the Lord what should happen next. It was time to update God. I needed to make Him aware of what I had learned and how much I had changed. His mission to mature me was complete. I thought, well, maybe he does not know. All the lessons that I have learned as I have been groveling here. Ah, yes, I must inform him how he can remove the hounds of hell that are harassing me. But Job did say he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. Okay, fine. I was okay with his unchangeableness. I was okay with that I could not budge him. He just needed to know that his desire to change me had worked. Lord, I'm okay down here. Everything is cool. Now, once God gets the update, he will pour out a different blessing than the crucible of suffering. He will index me forward to chapter 42. He will turn my captivity in verse 10 and begin to bless me. And so I prayed something like this. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of suffering You have taught me many amazing things, and I am grateful for the life lessons. You are merciful and kind to me. Your work in me has accomplished several good things, and I'm now ready to move on to what you have planned for our next adventure. I await release from this suffering while looking forward to the fruitful ministry that it will produce, your grateful and humble servant, Rick. Job 23.14 says he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. There was a slight problem with my prayer. I knew in my heart that I was trying to manipulate God. The combination of desperation and hurt motivated me to prod God along, hoping he would expedite his plans for me. I cannot say I was wittingly trying to fake out God like anyone could accomplish that, but that was what I attempted to do in my delusional state. Sometimes the pain can be too much, blinding you to what you are doing, trying to circumvent God's wisdom for your life. Now, at some level of my heart, I knew my creative prayer would not work. I was not that delusional. The Lord was not through with me yet, and I knew it, which terrified me. What he had planned for me would not be thwarted, regardless of how many times I prayed. He was going to finish his desires for my life. Paul said it another way, what he has begun, that is what he will complete. My father knew best. And no amount of manipulative praying was going to sway him. He is unchangeable. It's sort of funny as I reflect upon those days. Gaslighting God will not work. He sees in the dark places of our hearts and always gives us exactly what we need, even if we do not want it. The real issue for me was whether I would trust him enough to cooperate with the necessary surgery on my soul, regardless of how long it would take. It was not permissible to jump ahead 20 chapters, get me to 42, because I was not fond of this part of the script. I mean, I finally made it to the stage. I'm ready for my part, and I got this part but i had to stay i had to finish what was written into the script apart from salvation this surgical season on my soul was essential and it became one of the most transformative times in my life nothing has come close to the redemptive work the lord did in me during those days i reflect on how hard it was to get on board with his soul surgery He saw things in me that I could not see, or perhaps, maybe more honestly, things that I did not want to see or to say aloud. And He loved me enough to persevere, no matter how distracting or dishonest I was with my manipulative praying. The Lord, the the, the truth was that I knew how messed up I was on the inside, but I did not want to go through the necessary changes for transformation to happen. Perhaps you're like this too. To some degree, we all have enough self-awareness to know we need the Lord's intervention. Still, we are afraid of Him. Job said, I am in dread of Him when I think about Him. That's not necessarily unhealthy. It can be, but not necessarily so. The thought of having the Lord turned loose on our souls is terrifying. Knowing this is why you must be careful here. If you're not wise here, you will be intellectually dishonest with yourself, with God, with others. You might even attempt to do what I did. You can't fake out God. Newsflash. What he has appointed, he will complete. My appeal is for you to be honest with yourself. Admit to the Lord what He already knows about you. Do not try to manipulate Him or others by acting ignorant about what He needs to do inside of you. Let Him have His way. I have seen this manipulative strategy many times in marriage counseling. The couple comes in as combatants focusing on the other person's wrongdoing. And of course, there's always a measure of truth in what they see. And what they say about their spouses it's the mixture of truth, no matter how small or how big, but it's the mixture of truth. It becomes the impetus to keep the bull's eye on their spouses, fully knowing there is more to the story. It's intellectual dishonesty. Whenever you can attach a truth claim to your story, you have a sense of rightness that might blind you to the whole truth, maybe even intentionally. You need a sturdy friend, a counselor in this case, but you need a sturdy friend who will call you on it so you don't drown in your shenanigans. Well, guess what? God is that sturdy friend. He's unchangeable. And though his character and attributes did not deter me, I'm a little more stubborn than the average bear. And so I went on with my manipulative praying, at least initially, Some of my stubborn spouses eventually own the silliness of their manipulations and humble themselves by acknowledging how they may have obscured a few facts. These are the moments when grace begins to trickle into our messes. It's counterintuitive because we want to be strong, not vulnerable. These spouses, they learn what Paul taught us. When I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, what choice do we have? The Lord will do what he wants to do with you and with me. And he will complete what he has appointed for you and for me. And as Job concluded in chapter 23, he says there are many more things in his mind. I wish I could carry you to the end of Job's story where he flips the narrative and blesses. But you already know that is not how it works God has a plan for you, and He will advance you when He is ready and not one second before. The best thing you can do is to be honest about your life, be honest about your deficiencies, be honest about the things that need adjusting or any areas or of weaknesses or past brokenness that needs God's reconciliation. It would probably be best for me just to stop listing possible things for you to address in your life and just ask you to take a season of reflection, asking God to help you to see what you're unable to see and agreeing with Him about the things you already know that need to change. Perhaps as you follow through, I'm going to share some questions as I wrap up here. And if you would follow through with these questions, perhaps they will assist you in progressing you through the unique story the Lord is writing for you. If you want to read what I'm have just shared with you, then you can go to lifeovercoffee.com. It's titled, Have You Ever Tried Manipulative Praying? I think if you just type in manipulative praying, it'll pull up the article and, and you can listen to the podcast right inside the article. You can also watch the video too. And so you can read, watch, and listen. Have you ever tried manipulative praying? I want to ask you a few questions and then we wrapped up. First, it If you haven't heard, uh, we've been talking about this for a while now, but I've completed a topical course on the fear of man, people who struggle with insecurity, uh, people who are controlled by other people's opinion. When people try to manipulate you, gaslight you, and you come under the management of their opinions, you're controlled by them, where they are big and God is small, well, I've, I've developed a All online course. It's a topical course on this subject that will walk you through how to overcome the fear of man. There are 20 videos and 20 articles. There's a 30 a page PDF, downloadable document. You can download it. There's an LMS, a learning management system. And so you can do it all online. You can do it uh, on any device. You can do it on your laptop, desktop, coffee shop. You can do it at a coffee shop, do it at home. Doesn't matter. And so if you go to courses in our navigation bar at lifeovercoffee.com and click on it, uh, you'll be able to get to that course, No More Fear, and you can read all about it. And then if you'd like to take it, you would have that option, No More Fear, Uh, How to Overcome Controlling Opinions is something that's essential for all of us. It's actually the inverse of what, or, or it's an iteration of what I'm talking about here as I was trying to control God with my manipulations, but that is futile. However, we can be managed by the opinions of other people, so I would encourage you to check out No More Fear. All right, so here's some questions for you to think about. Are you struggling now? Are you in a relationship trial? Are you trying to ignore what God is telling you? Now, if there's some truth, if if there's yeses, to those questions, then I would just encourage you to speak with a friend and just take time to explain uh, what I've just shared with you and what you're going through. Just it, it would probably prove wise if you would find a friend and share those things with that person, someone who's competent, a sturdy friend who will call you on it if that is what's necessary. Number two, suffering is impossibly hard. You know that. But do you see it as God's mercy to you? I mean just I mean if you're in it, that would be hard it might be hard to say yes, but I think as you listen to the spirit of God acting activated in you, intuitively you you should know this. Suffering is impossibly hard, but do you see it as God's mercy to you? What are you learning about your Lord as you walk through this trial with him? By the way, I hope you see the implication here. What I'm sharing with you are things that God taught me back in the late 80s. And so there is reproductive benefit here all these years later. What are you learning about the Lord as you walk through this trial? There will be benefit not just for you, but for other people in your future. Suffering is impossibly hard, but do you see it as God's mercy to you? Number three. Are you tempted to manipulate God? Are you tempted to manipulate others by making a case with missing facts? If so, I would just appeal to you to cease. Stop that. Don't do that. What is the entire story? What do you need to talk about? What things do you need to talk about? Will you speak with someone about that? Number four, this is the last thing, and we'll be done. Would you go back? either Google uh, batter my heart from John Donne or just read it uh, in this article here about manipulative praying. But reflect on what it means for God to batter your heart, perhaps memorizing the poem and even writing a few thoughts will help you to, to turn a corner in your crucible. If we can serve you, we have hundreds and hundreds of articles Uh, We have at this juncture uh, like 1,500 podcasts on our website, hundreds of videos. We have a lot of resources. Just go to the search feature and type in a word, type in a phrase. Let our ministry serve you. It's free. Our resources are free to you. We are underwritten by a supporting community And so we don't want your money, but we do want to serve you. And so just go to lifeovercoffee.com and just search for various things, including this, Have You Ever Tried Manipulative Praying? And let us serve you, and it would be a joy to do so. Thanks so much. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.